Hello and welcome to the commentary for lesson 374. This is uh, mostly 2 Kings 17 and 18. And in the last lesson, if you remember, Isaiah was giving a very stern warning to Israel, basically saying, time's up, it is time for your punishment, no turning back, this is going to happen, so expect it basically. And so that's where we're at now. And God is, finally, the punishment has come. And the punishment to Israel for their sin is that they will fall to Assyria. They will be taken over by Assyria. Uh, The king of Assyria will send his people to occupy Samaria. Um, At the beginning of our reading in 2 Kings 18, verse 9, just to kind of recap on who the players are and the nations, it says, During the fourth year of Hezekiah's reign, which was the seventh year of King Hosea's reign in Israel, King Shalmaneser of Assyria attacked the city of Samaria and began a siege against it. Um, during the fourth year of Hezekiah's reign, Hezekiah is a good king from the land of Judah, the southern portion of Israel. Hosea is a bad king coming from a long line of bad kings from Israel, the northern territory of Israel, okay? So that's where we're at. And basically in this reading, it says, and we've seen before, that Israel has been bad for a long time and God tried to spare Judah, but unfortunately the tribes of Judah, the people from the land of Judah, they also fell to all of these sins. And what were the sins? Well, we know we've talked about them before, but it says in verse 7, 2 Kings 17, verse 7, this disaster came upon the people of Israel because they worshiped other gods. That's the big picture summary, but it does give a lot more detail. It says the people of Israel they had also secretly done many things that were not pleasing to the Lord their God. So there were secret sin that's unnamed here, but it points it out, which is interesting because that, you know, should remind us that there is no such thing as secret sin, right? There are sins that other people notice and there's sins that we may think that we can get away with because it's private, but there is no such thing as a private sin. And that's just a reminder. Um, But these people built pagan shrines in all their towns. I mean, this is God's people on God's land doing this. They set up sacred pillars and Asherah poles. We know God doesn't like those. So it tells you just how bad it has gotten and that this is everywhere. They offered sacrifices on hilltops, just like the nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of them. So they're becoming just like these nations. And of course, if we remember, um, back in Deuteronomy, God was very specific in his instructions. And here we see this again. It says, uh, so the people of Israel had done many evil things, arousing the Lord's anger. Verse 12, yes, they worshiped idols, despite the Lord's specific and repeated warnings. Again and again, the Lord had sent his prophets and seers to warn both Israel and Judah. Turn from your evil ways, come back to me, but they refused, right? They were stubborn. They just didn't seek him. Now let's go back to Deuteronomy 28, 36, where God warned of this event. 
It says, The Lord will exile you and your king to a nation unknown to you and your ancestors. There in exile you will worship gods of wood and stone. So supposedly that scripture is referring to this scripture. They rejected all the commands of the Lord their God and made two calves from metal. They set up an Asherah pole and worshipped Baal and all the forces of heaven. This is referring to the Canaanite practice of worshipping the sun, moon, and the constellations. They even sacrificed their own sons and daughters in the fire. They consulted fortune tellers, practiced sorcery, and sold themselves to evil, arousing the Lord's anger. This is startling, isn't it? Okay, sorry, I had to let my cat out. She thinks she's a dog, so she thinks she has to go outside to go to the bathroom. Anyways, um, so God's people on God's land doing these horrible, detestable things, even sacrificing their own children, which we know was a religious practice in the worship of Baal. We remember that from early Old Testament. So then we go down to verse 20. It says, The Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel. He punished them by handing them over to their attackers until he banished Israel from his presence. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sounds like Adam and Eve when they got banished from God's presence in the Garden of Eden, right? So here we have it again. Remember the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve lived in God's presence. And in Israel, originally, they were living in God's presence, right? The tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, Moses was there, God was there. But here they're banished from his presence. And verse 21 refers back to King uh, Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Remember, they, it, that's always, his name is always brought back like it all started with him. And so then it talks about the king of Assyria and how he transports people from his land to occupy and resettle Samaria. The people that he brought into Samaria did not know the religious practices of the Israelites to the one true God. Well, their religious practices were all a mess anyways, but because, the, because God sent lions to destroy them because they were not worshiping him correctly, the king of Assyria says, okay, so we don't want that to happen anymore. He says, send one of the exile priests back to Samaria, let him live there and teach the new residents the religious customs of the God of the land. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria returned to Bethel and taught the new residents how to worship the Lord. But these various groups of foreigners also continued to worship their own gods. It says, in town after town where they lived, they placed their idols at the pagan shrines that the people of Samaria had built. And then it talked about all these other gods that they were worshiping. So then the people of Sepharvaim even burned their own children as sacrifices to their gods. Well, we, we read that the Israelites were doing that too. It's just interesting because the, new, the foreigners come in, they settle. They continue to do their own stuff, but they bring in the priest to teach them to do the Israelite God stuff too. It's like a cornucopia of crazy. They're just doing everything. But so were the Israelites. So verse 32 says... These new residents worshiped the Lord, but they also appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests 
to offer sacrifices at their places of worship. They're just bringing in random people and calling them priests. No, the priests were to be the Levites of the Levite tribe. There were very specific people and only those people that could be priests. And though they worshiped the Lord, they continued to follow their own gods according to the religious customs of the nations from which they came. So, verse 35 goes back to point out that it says, For the Lord had made a covenant with the descendants of Jacob and commanded them, Do not worship any other gods or bow down before them or serve them or offer sacrifices to them. They've been given warning after warning. God was very specific and very patient and very merciful. They would not listen. And now it's a cornucopia of crazy. Like I said, they're doing the God stuff, but they're also doing all this false God stuff and horrible, detestable things. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That's what they were commanded to do. But I want to keep reading a little bit more and expand on that because I, I like the full reading of this, um, where they were supposed to have their center, right? Commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving to you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So God wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, and strength. And it is so important that we're supposed to think of it day and night and teach our children so that teach your children the ways of the Lord and when they grow up, they will not depart. Right? The Israelites have not done that. Even if they did do that, our natural rebellious nature would probably at some point, they would just fall away from God. That's what we do. But it's sad that it's gotten so crazy and so out of hand and understandable that at some point, uh, party's over. God has to punish sin. Um, I just did an eight-page paper for school. I'm taking classes at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. I think I've mentioned that before to get a certificate of women's studies and I had to write a eight page paper and it was titled um it well the purpose of the paper was to answer a big question right a big theological question my class is Christian doctrine so um so we really researched topics that were interesting to us and answered these questions that maybe we've had for years and we just never really took the time to dig into it. And so that's what we did. And my question that I picked was, does God see all sins equally? And, you know, you've been studying the Old Testament with me, so you know that God does not see all sins equally. He's pretty clear that certain sin, you know, arouses God's anger more than others. He's patient and merciful to a point, but certain things seem to set him off and he, he gives warning and warning, but then he's like, that's it, right? Worshiping false gods, murder, uh, sexual sin, those all upset him more than little sins. However, 
so we know that he doesn't see all sin equally, but there is, there is also no insignificant sin, right? No sin is so small that it doesn't matter. It all separates us from God. In the same way it separated Adam and Eve from God in the Garden of Eden, in the same way that it separated the Israelites from God in Jerusalem, in the Holy City, it separates us from God as well. So there is no insignificant sin, but there is also no sin that's so big that he cannot forgive it, except for the sin of unbelief, right? If you don't believe it, how can, why would he offer it to you if you don't even believe it? That makes sense to me. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. You have to believe. So I tied it all up with a bow just to say that, you know, God does not see all sins equally. And the reason I felt that that was an important question is because we see so much and we hear so much. And I think I've even said it. Well, you know, your sin, all sin is equal and I sin and you sin and we all sin and it's all okay. No, it's not okay. And it's not equal. My being jealous of my neighbor's car is totally different than someone murdering someone, right? We know that instinctively, don't we? But even though God does not see all sin equally, he does forgive all sin equally. All sin, regardless of how big or small, separates us from God. But he offers redemption through Christ so that all can be saved. So yes, a murderer can go to heaven, but an atheist cannot. Anyways, I just wanted to share that with you because that took a lot out of me and I really studied that intensely and I'm sure it'll pop up again through our studies and I'll touch on it from time to time. But I learned so much from going through that research. So let's figure out what the takeaways are for this lesson. I think uh, one of the takeaways is no such thing as secret sin, right? I think this passage also tells us that, you know, sin always brings consequences, even with the redemption of Christ, right? Even if we're, even if we repent and we're forgiven, there are still earthly consequences. Some are irreversible and sometimes they even affect future generations. That's on us. Uh, we are clearly not to put any other God before him. And I think it's safe to say that none of us struggle with the sin of sacred shrines or Asherah poles, right? None of us worship the sun, moon, and constellations. But I know of people who have gone to palm readers or tarot cards or fortune tellers. God clearly tells us in this passage that he doesn't like that. So when I come across those things, yes, this is Old Testament hardcore and Jesus was a total game changer and we're forgiven, but why would we purposely do something that we know God does not like? I can easily avoid those situations. I won't go, I won't go into those places. So anyways, that's really it for today. I think we're going to get into some good stuff. We're going to get into Isaiah next, um, but that's it for today. I hope you all have a great day and I will talk to you soon.